Now, guys, uh, back to our text. It's uh, the same one as last week, but we're going to add a little bit to it, and let's see if we can uh, make for clarity here. It starts in verse 4. We'll read through the end of the chapter. Jonah, chapter 3, verse 4. Hear that which is, the inerrant and infallible word of the living God. It reads like this. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may relent, may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they, re, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word endures forever. Um, let me first apologize for asking you to bounce around in the scriptures so much this morning. There are several places that I want you to take a look at in the course of my time with you. Um, maybe the lesson is that this subject of repentance is uh, all over this Bible, and it is. So we'll uh, take a look at least at some of those places. Um, folks, you may recall that last week this was the same text, and here's what I did with it. I, uh, first of all, wanted to point out the urgency of repentance. And to do that, I, I, I gave you two, uh, two parts or two arguments. The first one came from a dialogue that Jesus has in Luke 13. Uh, in Luke 13, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is um, uh, discussing a current event. The event is that Pilate had killed some Galileans, taken their blood, and used it, mixed it, with his pagan sacrifices and jesus knowing of this current event and hearing it discussed in his audience says this do you think that all that those galileans were worse sinners than everybody else and his response was i tell ye nay <laughs> that's the king james but he said no but i tell you that unless you repent you will all likewise perish he goes on to discuss another current event that a tower in Bethlehem, in, in uh, Jerusalem, had fallen and killed 18 people. Uh, Passers by on uh, just innocent people, apparently. So Jesus says to his audience, Do you think that these 18 people who were killed by the falling tower of Siloam were worse sinners than all else? No. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And I, and I made the point that the only alternative to perishing is repentance. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
again, trying to underscore the urgency of the topic. I added one thing. I said, um, the other thing that makes, the, makes this urgent is because that there is a counterfeit out there. There is something out there that people think is repentance, and it is not. Um, and then I went on to try and give you a definition of repentance. What I want to do this morning is add to that definition of repentance. To do that, here, here's what I want to do. I want to offer you a comparison, a contrast, between the real and the counterfeit. I want you to uh, follow along with me, um, and, and tr hopefully this will help you determine the real versus the counterfeit of repentance. Hopefully, finding the real present in your own soul. Now, so there's two distinctions I want to draw, uh, again, in this contrast between the real and the counterfeit. The first um, distinction between the real and the counterfeit has to do with the Greek word. The Greek word that is translated repentance. The Greek word is metanoia. Now, I know that not many of you are really interested in Greek words, and I really don't blame you. But this word is, is an interesting word. Metanoia is the Greek word that is translated repentance. It's a combination of two words. The root of the word is nous. Metanoia comes from, the noia comes from nous. And the Greek word nous means mind. Meta, you've heard of metamorphosis before. But the, so <clears throat> putting those two things together, the word metanoia means, etymologically, it means a change of mind. That in repentance, in the, in, the pro, in, the, in the event known as regeneration, part of what the Holy Spirit does is that he changes the mind. It, it results, of course, in a change of behavior. But it also shows up in how we think. How we think about our sin. How we think about God. How we think about self. So whereas our behavior is adjusted when the real repentance is present, yes. There's more than that changed. It's not just a question of behavior. It's a question of values. It's a question of perspective. It's a, it's a question of disposition. It is all the result of the inward work of the Holy Spirit that not only makes us attend church more, it's a change of mind. This, this repentance is a, is a saving grace. It starts us out in this relationship with Christ, but it is also an abiding principle, a daily thing. We keep on repenting because we keep on viewing things differently. Repentance is the response of gratitude to God's goodness that we become increasingly aware, or as we become increasingly aware, of our own sin and our own unworthiness and how we so little deserve forgiveness metanoia repentance 
it changes and it is no way and in no way something that is superficial it goes all the way into the place even where we think folks repentance is not merely being sorry remorse regret Judas had all of that. Repentance starts with an acknowledgement of sin as sin, without excuses, and then it bleeds out in specific, quantifiable, observable, visible ways. It was John the Baptist who said, bring forth fruits of repentance. Fruits, things that I can quantify and see and that are visible. You know, I, I think the best illustration of all of what I'm saying is a, is a story that Jesus tells in Luke 19. It's a story about a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Remember? Um, people seem to know about Zacchaeus. If you were raised in a church, you, if you were brought up in Sunday school, you were even taught a song about Zacchaeus. Um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man a wee little man was he he climbed up in the sycamore tree so Jesus he could see you remember that song well apparently Zacchaeus was a small man in stature he was a not just a tax collector he was a chief tax collector if there was anybody that was wicked in the minds of Israel it was the tax collectors because they were collaborators with the Roman government they, they despised the tax collector so Zacchaeus is up in a tree he wants to see Jesus as he walks by. So Jesus comes over to the tree. He says, hey, uh, Zacchaeus, come on down. I want to spend the day with you. And boy, when the, the religionists of Israel heard that, they really didn't like that he was going into a home of a sinner. So he gets to Zacchaeus' home. And Zacchaeus says this to Jesus. He says, um, half of my goods I'll give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll return it fourfold. Folks, do you see the specificity of all that? It's even down to percentages. 50%, I'll, you know, I'll give away, and then uh, 25%, I mean, four times, 400%, I'm going to return. All I'm trying, all I want you to see is that the real repentance works in us in such a way that everything gets changed the way we view things the way we view our money the way we view our profession it all changes and bleeding out of those changes becomes a, a different behavior a different duty there are visible quantifiable observable fruits of repentance the point is simply guys that repentance is in no way skin deep superficial it's um it's not merely concerned about the big sins it's concerned about all of the sins 
especially the ones on the inside that nobody knows about, the secret ones, that nobody knows about but me. God has made a change on the inside of me. And so how I view things, it changes. That's the essence of repentance. It's a change of mind. Here's the second distinction I want to make between the real and the counterfeit. Guys, the counterfeit repentance in the main um, proceeds from a sense of danger and wrath. In the counterfeit, law smites the conscience and the only remedy considered The only response given is to be found in some kind of moral reform. Well, you know, I I just heard that uh, that that stuff there uh, by that preacher, and you know, uh, you know, I need to start going to church more. I need to stop telling those dirty jokes over at the office. I need to drink less, folks. Repentance is not merely the fear of punishment, but it is sorrow over our sin. Gang, um, you know what the, um, the Sermon on the Mount is? Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the first sermon that Jesus preaches, you know. It's, it's rich, rich, rich. But the Sermon on the Mount begins with about 11 verses called the Beatitudes. It's like eight of nine Beatitudes, which are part of the Sermon on the Mount. The, um, the first Beatitude is, blessed are the poor. But do you know what the second one is? Blessed are they that mourn. Mourn over what? Their sin. Guys, I want to read you one verse. This is tucked away in the back of the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah. It's one verse, verse 10 of chapter 12. Listen to this. This is rich. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Guys, do you see what caused the sorrow? It was sorrow over what my sin has done to a holy, gracious, merciful God as seen in the person of Christ, the one who was pierced. You see, guys, the thing that that drives me to turn from my sin cannot merely be a fear of hell because that would mean it's all about me. I'm just trying to take care of me. Now, let me add, it may start like that, but eventually it's overtaken by beauty. Beauty to see the provision of God for my sin. I don't just turn from sin. 
I turn from sin and to God. Now, go back with me to the story of Jonah, and I want you to take a look at verse 5. Um, Jonah has preached his sermon, and in verse 5 we find this. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now gang, <clears throat> notice this. Their actions originated, look, in their faith. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And notice it doesn't say they believed in God. They believed God. Um, those actions that, we're, that, you, that are listed there originate, it begin by believing what God has said. And then what you see that comes next, they call for a fast, they put on sackcloth and ashes. Those things are the fruit of of their faith in God. The real repentance, folks, arises from both faith in the threats of law and hope in the promises of the gospel. Gang, the, the only way that I can explain what you see described in Genesis chapter 3 that occurred in Nineveh is that God showed up in the person and work of the Holy Spirit and granted metanoia. And everything changed. You know, conversely, how do you explain the failure of any man to respond to the warnings of God? Well, very simply, he doesn't believe them. He doesn't believe those threats. And I've heard you make them week after week after week, Jimmy Young, but very frankly, I don't believe them. And at that moment, he is functioning as a raw atheist. Folks, the call to repentance is not an invitation. It's a command. As recorded in Acts 17, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So if I refuse that command, that is not simply for me to decline, it is for me to defy. You know, guys, I had lunch with a man last week, and he told me about a church that's in another city, and he was expressing his misgiving, and and he said something like this. This is almost a quote. He said, they seem to have a real reluctance to use the word sin. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know how cruel that is? Do 
to not tell you about sin is to not point you to the remedy for it. And there is a remedy. To refuse that remedy is not simply to show indifference. It's to demonstrate defiance. Guys, I would say to you that this distinction between the real and the counterfeit is so well seen in a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18. It's a familiar parable. It's the parable of the Pharisees and the tax collector. It's Luke 18, beginning of verse 9. And it's a picture, of, it opens like this, two men go down to the temple to pray. So you've got two religious men, and they're going down to the temple to pray. That's very good. They're both going to the temple to pray. It's a good start. And then we're told about the, the Pharisee. It says, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Do you see it? Not one mention of sin against God. Now listen to the the tax collector. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He mourns over what? His sin. There you have on display the difference between the counterfeit and the real. Now let me, um, let me wrap this up by mentioning one more thing about Jonah. Jesus in Matthew 12, 39 calls Jonah a sign to Nineveh. He was a sign. Now how was it that Jonah was a sign? Well let me suggest this. I want to suggest that his sermon was a whole lot longer than five words. I told you last week that it was five Hebrew words that are recorded. But I bet you he tells the whole story, um, especially to the king. But whereas these people, um, whereas the text only includes five words, I'm suggesting that the people heard about the whale incident and what happened to him, or they'd either heard about it or Jonah told them about it. So his story, having heard his story, It impacts them not only with a deep sense of God's terror or or terror over God's wrath, but it impacts them with the hope of forgiveness. Y'all, look. I mean, if, if God could forgive that guy, maybe he will forgive us too. And so Jonah becomes a sign to Nineveh. You see, in in that regard, Jonah is like Jesus, 
Because you see, both of them have this in common. Both of them endured a death experience due to God's judgment on sin, only to have that judgment reversed three days later. And so Jonah's story becomes a a sign of hope to these folks who are at that moment abiding under the pronouncement of God's wrath. And here I am, says Jonah. I, uh, I deserved his judgment. But he has granted me mercy. You know, he really ought to left me in the belly of that whale. But he didn't. And so I'm a sign that if you respond in repentance, he will forgive you as well. You know, my brother and sister in Christ, I would suggest to you that all of us have a story like that. Maybe not as dramatic as Jonas, but all of us have a story. If you'll tell it with, if you'll tell the real story, then it might just convey hope to people. Well, my goodness. If God can believe somebody as wicked as Jimmy Young, then maybe, maybe he'll forgive me. You know, guys, today Jesus is the sign. And here's how. His resurrection, God reversing his death sentence, proves that God is willing to forgive even the grossest of sin. Well, Jesus wasn't a sinner, yes, but he did become sin. He took on my sin. And the resurrection is a pronouncement that God is willing to forgive sin now because it's been paid for by Christ. God reverses the death sentence because sin is now paid for. And that must mean that there's hope. Even for me. Yes, there is. No matter what you have have done, No matter what it is, it is not beyond the reaches of the forgiveness of God when repentance is present. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Our Father, I pray that you have used me to make that clear and where I have confused people would you sort it out for them but it is certainly clear oh God that you command all men everywhere to repent Um, would you work that grand and glorious grace in the hearts of all of us and if you have brought people here this morning who have not yet seen their need for this Savior, show them now. 
show them that what we what ought to happen to all of us is that we remain in the belly of the whale under your your judgment but you are willing to forgive where repentance is present do that father build your church build it by expanding the walls of the church to bring in those who see the great necessity of repentance and faith we ask it of course in jesus name amen guys the, <clears throat> the way that we like to quit is by inviting you to do three things we we would love to pray with you if you would like that if you've completed the new members class and feel like this is the place that god has led you come on down here and then finally um if you're here without a savior and you've got further questions that all of us had questions come get me and i'll try to answer the questions that that so trouble you won't you stand as we quit So shelter thou my high tower, faith heavenward. Oh, come here, big guy. <laughs> Guys, this, <clears throat> this is a Turner, Drew Turner. You know his parents, you know his grandparents. This is generation number three. So come say hello to Drew before you leave. It's a delight to have him be a part of this fellowship. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.